Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 44, and our book is The Reverie by Peter Fahervari. I hope I'm saying that correctly. It is about the angels resplendent and a deep dive into what makes them tick. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode as we'll be talking about this book from, gr- from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. I am actually going to start us off tonight by saying that I've given this book a lot of thought, okay? Like, a lot of thought. And I have decided that if I could dissect this book into three short stories that were all tangentially related to one another, it would be a good book. But as it is, there's just a little too much filler and fluff and redundancy for me. Did you like the book? Um, I have decided that I am not a fan of Fahavari's version of horror. I think that's... So, something that I've talked about a lot, because I've been reading more of the horror novels than you, is that the Warhammer 40k universe is in and of itself kind of horrific. So, like, some things that happen in here are horrific, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily horror. It's a really fine line to walk, and I'm a little concerned. Some of the books in the horror series, I'm like, this is what horror is about. And the others, I'm like, I don't know that you guys are going to be able to make this work. Well, I mean, I guess what I mean by his brand of horror was that... uh, How to put this, like... I guess if you've ever read Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now, I'm going to say Mm. this with, back in the day, I am sure this was horrifying. Yes. But reading it in the aughts, I was less than impressed. Um, It was not my brand of horror because I didn't think anything that happened in it was scary. There was a few things in the beginning that kind of, you know, raised my hackles, like the way that the counts kept locking, uh, my God, what is his name? Jonathan, thanks. And the tower and then these strange beings were visiting him and talking to him. He has no idea what is going on or or if he can even leave. Mm -hmm. But then after that, I was over it i was 100 percent over it i didn't think anything was scary i thought a lot of it was for um a lot of talk you know for you know abraham van helsing it's so funny because you know you see him so often now that character anyway in Mm -hmm. anime and other movies and all these things and he's always just such this badass well he was a 60 year old man talks like a lot a lot yeah so much yes yes he talks constantly and he's not really a man of action but more of he's more of a scientist than anything so he's Mm -hmm. you know and even when they're talking about the things that they need to do there's not a whole lot of action 
end the book. So nothing ever really feels that scary, not even when Mina's friend dies. It just never really got to that point. And I kind of feel the same way about the reverie. Like, I think there is this idea of, ooh, something's wrong and we don't know what it is. And then it, but that's not enough to be a horror. That's just a a mystery. I mean, this could have easily have been, I don't know, a hound of the Baskervilles as far as I know, you know, because that has a touch of horror. I would actually agree. And we're going to talk a lot more about this because this is one of my major gripes about this book. But it was really more, I think that this was more of a mystery, not even a who, like not a whodunit. No. But a, like we know what is going on in this book. We know this chapter is corrupt. He left a few hints. Um, we'll talk more about that. Um, so we know that they're corrupt. So it's really more of a question of how they got corrupt. Like, who did what was the catalyst for this right Mm -hmm. but even that they kind of i mean they basically say like look this is the ninth legion on the ninth star in the ninth system like they give all of these things that Ah, that was like one of my notes and i was like really we're gonna go here yes are we really gonna hit this that hard on the nose here yes (laughs) um i you know, one of the things that, and I'm going to make a Red Letter Media reference here. If you've ever seen Red Letter Media's The Plinket Review for Episode 2, he talks about how really frustrating it is to watch Star Wars Episode 2 because we know that Palpatine's behind everything. So watching the Jedi bumble their way through with, hmm, who could be doing this? So he's talking about how through like about the halfway point, you're just screaming at the characters. Palpatine's behind it. Right. Because like, because we, we know. know. <laughs> right. So this was also a little frustrating to me going throughout because we know the chapter is corrupt. We know. Like I felt like Hades. I know. I get the concept. Um, yeah. So I, I would have liked more focus on the what is going on here? Like, how do we get to this point? Which, again, we'll talk more about here in a minute. But before we go, because I know that we both kind of had some struggles with this book, I would like to take a moment to say, like, what what stood out to you as being well done? What concepts did you like? So one of the things I'll start though and say that one of the things that I really liked about this and I do find continually interesting with the Blood Angels chapters is how they deal with the flaw. And you have people like Gabriel Seth who has taken it to its most fatalistic, nihilistic end, right? Of we're too dangerous to be around people. We're too dangerous to be trusted. We're just going to throw ourselves at suicide missions maybe our chapter gets wiped out right like he's taking it to that dramatic end whereas these guys took it to devoting themselves to art therapy but you can that i did find that interesting that it's like look we have to find a way to deal with this and good old zinch is right there to be like kid you want to try some warp (laughs) like and i do love that's i love 
Zinch as the subtle manipulator and not the... I, I get a little tired of Zinch when it's just like all sorts of warp sorcery going on all over the place and mutations and blah. Like, I like the idea of him just kind of like a pusher. Kind of like in Wonder of, Woman. Well, actually, I was going to say it's kind of a lot like Magnus's fall. Because there is that whole Very story much. when he's a child about that statue that fell and it broke into nine pieces. And he's looking at the nine pieces and he just gets this vision of how the world works in these nine pieces. It's very subtle. I mean, because mm -hmm. I didn't, when I first read it, I didn't know that Zinch's number was nine. So mm -hmm. I thought nothing of these nine pieces. Like, oh, it just happens to be nine pieces. I don't care. Didn't think about that connecting to the nine enumerations. Mm -hmm. Until, like, I, I made some comment on Twitter and someone was like, dude, you know that nine is Zinch's number, right? It's like, no, that makes sense why you guys are talking about make these comments about the ninth enumeration. You're just like, right. Okay, sure, sure. Um, so, but it was very, so with Magnus's, you know, initial turning, it was very mm -hmm. subtle. And even when Magnus, you know, traded his eye to save his sons, I don't think he knew exactly who he was dealing with. I don't think so either. And I like, and uh, look at Araman, right? Like, right. I'm going to I want to prevent the mutation. I've just gotten divine inspiration. I'll do this spell. It's just Zinch. Again, it reminds me kind of the, the first Wonder Woman movie with Ares. Mm. When she confronts Ares and he's like, I didn't have to do anything. He just dropped I ideas. Just pushed people and they ran with it. So I actually really liked that idea that, because you can also... In this book, it's particularly fun, the idea that, okay, we're going to use some warp magic, we're going to just erase this and make sure that, like, nobody knows this ever happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, should, should we also get rid of the codex? And you can just imagine Zinch being like, totally. Like, it just these little pushes, these little nudges in the right direction. Um, well, <laughs> his right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually one of the short stories that I think would have done really well in this book had they just had that as the short story of, look, the Black Rage is too awful. We can't have this. We can't be slaughtering our own people. It's shameful. It's terrible. We're going to devote ourselves to art therapy. We've done this magic. We're going to get rid of the Codex and everything's good, right? No? Except that we don't fight like, battles anymore. We're just going around picking up hookers. We're going to talk more about that in a minute because, oh God, did I have opinions on that? But the other thing that I really liked in this book, and I, let me rephrase that. I did not like it in this book, but I think it would have made a wonderful short story was the water wheel. <laughs> One time that Zinch appeared as the water wheel. Why not? Right. Um, right. If that had been a standalone short story. Oh, I with, think that would have been a great short beautiful. story and of itself would have been beautiful but in the book itself i was just like this is a waste of my time reading this feels like stupid padding not only is it a waste of my time again i get that they're i get that they're corrupt palpatine's behind it i get it like i, I understand i got the concept <laughs> it, it just felt like it just felt like gilding the lily at that point and again had it been its own short story though because the idea there is that revelation that I was like, man, as a short story, this would have been 
so wonderful when he gets to the end when Borges gets to the end and he's like wait a minute why do we even have this stupid wheel we don't run on water power like at that moment I was like oh dude that would have made for a wonderful like O. Henry style short story yes yes right where they like take down this uprising and then all of a sudden wait a minute god it would have been beautiful really really would have liked that I also this I'm a sucker for one of the concepts this book deals with is I'm a big sucker for is the idea that denying your history and running from it always creates more problems than it solves so this whole thing with the black rage and this great hero who falls and we're just gonna pretend that it never happened we're just gonna bamf it away and we'll never talk about it again I'm a big sucker for that concept. And again, you can just see the snowball right. <laughs> going you down know, the hill. The other thing is like, so that, so the beginning prologue with the boy, mm-hmm. you know, rising up, you know, the put down orphan is rising up to save everybody because he actually confronts mm-hmm. the monster and it turns out it is a fallen angel resplendent. See that right there, right there alone. That could have been a good short story on its own, even though it's a little overdone, the whole concept behind it. And and also with with yet another bleak with, orphan story. But I mean, I'm just saying like with the last book, the starting off in this town where everyone's being hunted and we don't know why. And it's just a mystery. Like get another idea. <laughs> I will agree with that. Um, I did. But I would have liked some little bit more about that it's just like all we know is that this angel resplendent fell and the boy used this crazy dagger and stabbed it in the eye and then they just decided to leave it there we don't really know what happened to the guy that was all just kind of like well you know just things we don't talk about it we just kind of leave it there and then oh wait what's this the uh, warp got really thin over here and has kind of hidden everything. Well, that takes care of our problem, right? And now it's just going to make this challenge getting through the reverie even harder. That just, you know, that well, solves all of, of our ritual. problems. Right. The ritual, right? They basically are like, okay, we'll just tear a little veil in the warp unknowing to us. To... It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's all fine. good. Yeah. No problem. But... Yeah. You are correct that that story would have been actually, so I guess maybe four short stories because that short story about the boy, despite the fact that I really am over the bleak orphan story, everybody's mean to me. Everybody. Okay, this is just not how human beings act. <laughs> but it's very Dickinsonian of him. Um, <laughs> but the idea, don't quote Dickens on my podcast. Um, they. I liked the idea that this kid, right, that when he, like, when he realizes that, oh, these people didn't find bravery. I was subtly controlling them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of nice. And the idea that he kills this. And then when the, you know, the, the angels just blend in, show up and they're like, our bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, awkward. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, we'll take this guy now. Uh, <laughs> you're one of us, kid. Congratulations. Hmm. <laughs> Actually, it would be kind of interesting if that's like how, because a lot of the stories, a lot of the Space Marine books, they talk about like how really brutal the 
selection processes for aspirants. <laughs> that would be kind of interesting, actually, if they were like, so we got a guy who fell to the Black Rage, so we dropped him in a town and decided to see uh, who could deal with it. That would be really, that'd be really dark. Yeah, but it's, to me, it's interesting. Like, but why did this guy turn into a beast? You know? Well, he wasn't a beast, per se. He was just in that mode. And I liked the idea when the kid's kind of feeling out to him. And he's like, he's not sleeping. But he's found, like, a because he doesn't know what he is, right? Right. The idea that it's like, well, he's not sleeping, but he is mollified for the moment. Well, there's the and, thing about, th yeah. and like, I couldn't really wrap my head that that's what he had was the Black Rage because the Black Rage doesn't manifest in a way that you just go and eat people and slaughter, you know, because usually there's a thing about, you know, how dare you Horus in there. <laughs> there was, right. Yeah. So it was, it's, it was like the Black Rage and the Bloodlust, like, combined. Like, instead, he became like, vampire cannibalistic almost i i guess kind of like yeah i actually had the same thought that you did like i would have expected something more along the lines of like it, had he just like gone into a berserker rage and was just ripping people apart i'd be like oh okay but right, he's yeah he's fallen into into the red thirst okay i can totally see that but you know of course like they weren't exactly clear Mm -mm. exactly what would happen and I think that's another thing that kind of bothered me about it I mean yes there's something nice you know with the elegant of mystery like for example so with, with Stephen King all right let's just take Stephen King we'll take Pet Cemetery. Um, they don't really explain why the burial ground does what it right. does and that's fine you don't have to know Not you important. just you just know that's bad right but at least, like, you got an understanding of, you know, because when you find out it's a burial ground, you're like, oh, that makes sense. You don't have to know about the why and how the mechanics work. But I feel like Fahavari doesn't even do that. He's just like, this happens yeah. kind of, and I'm not going to tell you what really happened or even why it makes it more mysterious i don't i disagree i think it makes I disagree it disagree too i think it makes it convoluted and well i, I actually compare it to math problems if it, he's asking us how long will it take for the train to get to washington dc but he hasn't given us the speed or the the starting point or anything like that and it's so you don't I get like to fall that. back on mysteriousness right of like ooh, it's it's the classic logic problem of not enough information like if you tell me right a train is leaving denver on monday what day does it arrive in washington dc okay i can start to infer a little bit along this way like okay it's probably going pretty fast blah 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 blah, blah. but yeah how long will it take for the train to get to dc i, I don't know i agree with you on some there's actually a lot of stuff in this book where i was like Okay. So, like, like, I mean, like, let's take, for example, the water wheel. Okay. Mm -hmm. We don't have to know what happened with the water wheel. Nope. But at the same time, we know. And so it was, and that's what I wanted from that. Product. You could straight up infer. Yes. From that. That's actually a beautiful example. So, I mean, and I actually reread the prologue in this probably about three or four different times because they would keep referencing people. I was like, wait a minute. 
where was that? And I'd go back and it's like, okay, that that's where it is. But mm-hmm. every single time I read it, I never got a clearer picture on what on what right. happened, except that this angel resplendent went bad. But they don't say of of what? Like even if they had said it was the Black Branch. Oh, okay. That that's cool. You don't need to explain anything further about what triggered it or whatnot. It's just a lot of it is left to the imagination. And that's fine normally, but I think for a book like this where there's so many open ends, it's not fine. Right. So let's let's talk about really quickly. How did you feel about the Angels Resplendent overall? Do you understand like did you understand the Reformation? Did you like it? I mean, I, I understand it. I don't like it, obviously, because how dare you kick off the uh, Codex Astartes? That's just like a slap in Robbie Bobby's face. Um, like, not even, like, the Blood Angels. They even follow the Codex Astartes. Excuse you, people. Uh, and not only that, but... So they really... I mean, there's this one thing about the Blood Angels the Blood Angels Legion. Like, let's not get into that, but the individual Legion was very much about beauty and art. I mean, if you don't believe Mm -hmm. me, count the chalices, okay? They were all, they were very big artisans. They were really big into that because mainly, I think because Sanguinius was so beautiful, they saw beauty in so many things and created a lot of beauty in things. So is it unusual that they're devoted to art? Absolutely not. Makes makes 100% sense. Is it unusual that they don't even go fighting anymore and they don't, you know, answer the emperor's call. They just kind of go around and pick up artists and bring them back to their planet and then forget about them. I, and I know that this was intentional, but there's a difference between like a character that you're supposed to hate Right? Like when they introduce a concept or a character that you're supposed to hate and it's so well written that you're like, I do hate this person. Mm-hmm. Like, good job. I really do hate this person. Um, there's a bunch of examples in TV shows, right? Where there's a character where you were supposed to hate that person. You're like, this guy's doing a great job. I hate this person. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Shannon in Boardwalk Empire is a really good example. Oh, of that. yes. Uh, right? Where you're yeah. like, oh, I hate this person. Good job. Um, this went round the horn for me and I just I found them so repugnant because it's like this is not what space marines do and it really like at some points it really felt as though they felt more akin to the emperor's children almost as if I almost felt as if Fahavari wanted to write the fall of the emperor's children and they were like well no we've already had the fall of emperor's children and he was like we've had one fall yes but what about second fall you know, when, and when, so we've had when you texted me that I was just like, what are you smoking? This is not like that. And then I get to, you know, picking up Marisol and he's showing her his art and wants you know, and talk about her being like um, that he's her patron and wants to read like what she's writing about him. I was like, oh, wait a second. This is like Horace Heresy stuff. And what chapter was really big on picking up what Legion, I should say, was really big on picking up the artists. Let me think. It was the Emperor's Children because it was, you know, I mean, obviously it was very much on purpose. So when, you know, Solanesh kind of gets into them with Mm -hmm. with art, which is like, as we've seen from um, Fabius Bile books, look at what they consider art as they're stitching together flesh chairs that is still alive. 
you know, that's that's their their I mean, they're still artists to this exactly to this day. The Emperor's children are still artists. So I'm seeing Very that. So. And I'm just like, I was like, okay, now I see what she's saying. But is that a thing? Like, is it is that really what's going on? Does he really think he's writing? Did he really propose this as writing the Emperor's children? Probably not. That's I know, but it's just being snarky. I know, but. It feels that way. It's the, like the character uh, beats. The parallels are too similar. They really are. I, I feel as though somebody read Filgrim and was like, "Oh, I could do my own version of this." Um, it's like the Oresti. Um, <laughs> yay! Uh, Terrible group of plays. Anyway, yes. Hey, it was ancient Grecian fanfic. Okay. Okay, you just um, you just read the first play. The first play is good. After that, it gets stupid. Fair. Um, so, anyways, um, <sighs> the idea that they they really are just this chapter that feels so. And I almost, as I like, we were about three quarters of the way through. My husband was like, "This is a book for people who don't like space marines," because there is that. Yes, you're watching this corruption of this noble chapter and how really how hard that is to watch right and what they've become and but it's a character study and before anybody is like oh you just need to have bolter porn let me draw your attention to lords of silence lords of silence does not have bolter porn in it up until the very end which is very similar to this book you could actually make a very strong argument that lords of silence was a character study Mm. of a war band Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm This was a character study of a chapter. It just, and I think it was because they were loyalists, loyalists the whole time. I was just like, no, 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 no. To be honest, the whole time I was reading this, I was like, man, the dark angels are more loyal than you. Right. Well, actually, okay. So I actually made that same joke when they were like, we really don't go out crusading anymore. Or like, or when they don't answer the emperor's call anymore. And I was like, who do you think you are? The dark angels? Hey, at least the Dark Angels actually pick up the phone every once in a while. I mean, they're, you know, they they went to, you know, they've answered Robbie Bobby and actually took on some Primaris. That's true. Do you think the Blue Splendent would add any Primaris? No. Well, no, they're not the Resplendent anymore. Right. Because they got their Torn Prophet or whatever. So now they're the the, Torn Prophet, the Undying Martyr, whatever you want to call them. Right. He's made them the angels so, penitent. What was your take on the muses? The hookers? <laughs> yes. I texted you that I was like, oh, look, they are their own chapters of hookers and acid. <laughs> and you were like, they're not hookers. And then you got to the part where you were like, oh, they are hookers. <laughs> um, the real housewives of Canvalus. I found them so disgusting. Just the whole idea, like... The idea that these people, and look, there's the one token dude, and actually there's two token dudes. They mention that there's dudes there, but they really focused on the women mm-hmm. there and how many females they were. The idea that the space marines would go out, find some young, hot muse, tour around with them until they're too old, and then go put them on the shelf like a trophy wife, and then go and find a new one, the younger model was so disgusting and the fact that they don't they don't have an overtly sexual relationship but there is something inappropriate i mean even at the end when satoria is like 
oh my god, you're in love with her. I mean, as much as we can love. Right, right. But no. <laughs> and the fact that they just become these, like, bourgeoisie, like, if you've ever seen Sunset Boulevard, they remind me of the wax museum that lives with Norma, De that comes and visits Norma Desmond. These people who are just sad because they're trying to live out this glory. So, yeah, when it turns out that, oh, by the way, we're totally worshipping Slanesh and having, like, these orgies and stuff, I was like, go on. And then they ended up worshipping Zinch, I think, out of fear for anything, out of anything else. They didn't want to be eaten. <laughs> I can just imagine Slanesh being like, oh, damn it. So close. <laughs> so close. Almost um, had another one. Yes. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it too. It wasn't for Zinch. Um, I can just imagine Zinch like just making a little plus one on his column. <laughs> um, Move I, along, pervert. Do you know the part that upset me the most about the muses? Oh. We'll talk more specifically about Marisol. Um, but one of the things that upset me the most is when they reveal the bridge. And they talk okay. about the number of muses that kill themselves. And I, the space marines are like... I rolled my eyes at that so hard. I was like, okay, now we have gone way over the top. Like, to the point of ridiculousness. We don't need to go this far. You've right. made your point, Anne yeah. Rand. <laughs> yes. It... It, it it felt so over the top. Again, I the phrase that just keeps coming back to me is gilding the lily at this point. It felt so over the top, the idea that these muses are just killing themselves and the space marines are like, hmm. And when he describes like there was a roof with full, like littered with bones and stuff. And I was reading aloud, my husband was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, because like, they just, just think that's cool just to leave that there. It... And I guess that was trying to be like, look how awful and corrupt these people are. We get it. I, that part, but, and I also like with the muses, I was like, Jesus, guys. <laughs> like, but again, that all goes back to that, not sexual, but like definitely inappropriate They're thing. collecting. Yeah. It, they felt like children collecting toys. And I don't want to play with this one anymore. Mm-hmm. Ew, but it, then, like, the idea that they all kind of go a little batty once their beloved space marine isn't paying attention to them anymore. I I just yeah. found the muses kind of pointless. Because, again, the angels were splendid artists. And they talk about, by the way, I did like the Sister Mercy cameo of the statue that uh, Caravaggio had car sculpted that was... That was cute. Caravaggio but, sculpted something? Go on. I was also shocked. But, um, they're great artisans, so why do they need these muses? Like, I actually would have found it a little bit better had they just given them the old yeller treatment. And, like, once they were done with them, just taking them behind the shed and or taking them down to the water wheel. Or, you know, if they really wanted to be like how it was back in the Horus Heresy days, bring them out to battle with you. They die. Oops. Whoopsie. 
<laughs> They're so squishy. I mean, war is hard, yo. War is hard, yo. I, I just, and again, I read Fulgrim. When they talk about how the muses are just constantly trying to get that je ne sais quoi, I, I've got to capture this essence of art and blah, blah, blah. Very much reminded me of Fulgrim. Where the Remembrancers are the ones who are like, I've just got to get this color right. And right, and now they she's start like, to tumble. Right, so she's that one artist starts slitting herself because that color red just is the perfect to mix in with the paints, and then it goes into you know other bodily fluids, and you know, yeah. So, yes, you're right. Like I and I have also read Fulgrim. Fulgrim is an amazing book. Um, we don't need another fall. <laughs> like, like no. I, okay. Fine, we can have loyalists fall. That's fine. But can we, like, be a little more creative and a little more original in how this happens than kind of copying Fulgrim, whether that was intent intentional or not? So if I could point to one thing in this book, like, remember earlier I said that if I could dissect the book up into four short stories that were tangentially related, it would have been a stronger book. I would cut everything with the muses. Because I think you could cut every single thing with them and have a more solid story because but, ultimately hmm. but what about the whole thing with marisol right um let's let's jump ahead to that question really quick about her whole overall rule what does she do <laughs> what was it you'd say she did there um aside from eat people um you know, in a way, you're right. Now you if you say remove that. her entire story. Because she never did become that, that demon. No. The uh, Mechanicus that we totally forgot about because he had one chapter and then came back in the end. is was like, oh, wow, look what happened here. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, and then I guess she goes and disappears into the reverie because... Because yeah, it's <sighs> you could have removed her entire story. You could have removed everything about the muses, and the story would still have began, had a midway point, and ended the exact same. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, like they keep they keep building up to she's the ascendant. She is going to become the demon, and oh, told <laughs> you. Yeah, the mechanic can beat you to it. Haha. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't even like a red herring, right? Where you're like, I bet you think that this person's the one who's doing it, don't you? <laughs> no. It wasn't that type of misdirection. It felt, it felt very much like a forgotten plot thread, which <laughs> we'll talk more about those in a bit here too. Mm. Um, I just don't understand what it was that she brought to the story other than, and I... I really did not like Marisol. I really struggled with her character because in the 40k universe, we've never really seen the pouty female who's just like, my boyfriend isn't talking to me and I'm pouty, so I'm going to go turn to Warpcraft to make him notice me. She very much reminded me a lot of Bella. Yes. Bella from Twilight? I'm making a Twilight reference. 
Oh, you're talking about the 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 second book where she can't see Edward anymore, so she does all these uh, daredevil things that she can nearly die, so she can maybe see him in her mind or something. It was so weird. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it, it it just it felt so petty and like, look, we just don't see those type of female characters in um in warhammer 40k as much so she felt so out of place and she didn't feel like i'm gonna step out on a limb here and say she wasn't full-blown nurse ratchet like condemnation of women but she was like in the same batting ground like she felt so offensive to me and it's not and look i'm (laughs) i get it okay yeah there are there are women who get really pouty and angry when their boyfriends don't talk to them. I understand that. But it's not exactly like a thing that we really like to talk about, right? Right. No. I mean, it is not something that ever really gets uh, brought up, you know, in, uh, in these situations either. Because it's mm-hmm. usually like wartime, usually, you know. R- right. Um, you know, and you know what? You know when you will see it. You'll see it with the gilded, like in the Warhammer crime series. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, you see, you see it there. But and that, but that makes sense there. But we're supposed to be disgusted by exactly. them. Exactly. Right? It doesn't when they make show s- us the gilded, we're like, ew. Doesn't make sense to have it here, on a space no. marine, homeworld. She was just so petulant. And again, when you when you have me start drawing comparisons. To a Twilight character, maybe, maybe let's turn the ship around. And the whole like making her Ural, what? Okay, that made zero sense to me on so many levels. It was almost as if, and this actually bridges really nicely into our next question. Similar to Requiem Infernal, there was a lot of interpersonal drama and little concepts. That just didn't go anywhere. Like, what? Fe- that and this was, I think, one of them that felt the most random and unfinished to me. Not to mention, one of the things I actually really liked was the idea that there's this cult of Sanguinius, that Space Jesus would have a cult where people would be like, no, 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 he had a better view for us. That I mean, you could almost look at it like the concept of like the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? That, like, Space Jesus had a much softer approach than the Old Testament God did, right? So, like, the idea that they would be like, we need to be following these people. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it got dropped like a hot potato. Well, I mean, so, going back to Uriel, I actually wrote... Who was part of that? Right, I wrote... One of my notes I actually wrote... Actually, both of my notes that I wrote here at the very bottom were both about plots that seem to go nowhere. It's disappeared. Right. One of them was, I said, what is this Scott Pilgrim obsession with Uriel? Because he met her, Tarsum met her once. 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 (laughs) And became, for whatever reason, obsessed. To the point when he sees yeah. Marisol, I guess, I don't know what she does. Before she vanishes off into the reverie because, ooh, I sucked over my coffee. Um, well, try, try to remember, I mean, they did have sex. It's implied that they had sex. 
So I guess that's why they're now in love. See, I didn't catch that either. Because I guess... Well, when he talks about the ritual and he's like, the next part of the ritual was much more pleasant. I was like, oh, I think these two just hooked up. Oh, I thought he Um, just did drugs. To be totally honest, because it just kind of went along. Who knows, right? All right. But we'll go along with that. They, They had sex. Okay, fine. So they had one night together. Sorry, no guy does this unless... Well, I don't want to get in there. Um, but to the point where he's constantly looking for her. It's and talking to her. And ridiculous. Yeah. It's 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 creepy. It's creeper. Like, level. And I, so, and it's actually... And was that I, the intention? And that's why I called it Scott Pilgrim. Because I cannot stand the story of Scott Pilgrim. No. It makes me absolutely sick. All of it. You only say that because he was a grown-ass adult dating a high school girl, and we're supposed to find that cute and funny. No, I only say that because I don't get his obsession with an Amazon no. delivery girl that he meets once. Mm-hmm. It makes it very clear she doesn't want to talk to him. Right. Once. Yeah, it was... St- that movie is really fun when you look at it from just a complete total stalker point of view. Yeah. That movie is so anti-feminist. Anyways, um... But yeah, like that, that was so weird. So the fact when all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're your ale. I can't explain it, but you are. Okay. Yeah, sure. sure. I don't know why, but sure. sure. Whatever why makes not? you feel better, pumpkin. Right. Like, and that was, that was one where I was like, yeah, okay. It, another thing that I was like, yeah, okay. And this actually, this would have made, this would have been the, the third, third, I think, am I at third? I think I'm at third phenomenal short story the whole thing was cervantes and atenzo so you have cervantes who has mysteriously assumed leadership of his ex-captain's role right Mm -hmm. and it turns out that he's totally hiding demon possessed captain asterisk right in a box which is very much a metaphor for the whole chapter, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And th- but the whole thing with like a Tenzo challenging him, and I don't believe that you're worthy of being a captain, and blah blah blah. And then that doesn't go anywhere. Like there was that. I can't even talk about the thing with the guys and the masks and the knife. I okay. I I started laughing so hard in that scene. I laughed too. Just- just because, you know, that was like a little trick you did as a kid with pencils, you know? And then mm-hmm. to have it, and you'll see occasionally in the movie where they're doing that with the knives, like, okay, whatever. But to have that be a thing <laughs> that these I, people are just constantly doing over and over again, I was like, I giggled. And my husband was like, why? He started giggling too. He was like, what is going on right now? You learn that Atenzo loses his finger, right? Because there's okay. a finger on the stone. You know and, and you see him later missing a finger. You know, they don't go into why. See, now, there are some moments of funny brilliance right there. because Right, where you're like, hey. Yes, because Marisol is like, is he missing a finger? It's like, oh, that's funny. But then it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, right. doesn't matter. No. Again. You had that, that one moment where he punches him in the face. Right. But 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 they still didn't really get to like we still don't know why Atencio felt this way. You yeah. have no idea. No. And here's the thing. 
if they would have focused on this young guy, Cervantes, coming up, having to take leadership in this really traumatic way, knowing that he has this dark secret that he's trying to hide, but that he also wants because he wants to help his friend, but then also having to deal with the fact that he's being questioned on his leadership and he's going to have to answer for that. Like, had that actually just been its own contained short story? I think that would have been very interesting and very good because Cervantes in and of himself wasn't terrible, but the fact that, yeah, it just goes nowhere. Again, you could erase everything with Atenzo and it would be the same story. I could almost say the same thing about Caravaggio. (sighs) We're going to get there in a minute. Because that was my, that was my other note of what was that? What was the point of that? Speaking of what was the point of it, and aside from the fact that we dropped. that we like to uh, just name famous painters and artists and writers and characters right. to be like, look at how well read I am. I it it, it does become a little god. Like at the first point, I was like, huh. um, but then it comes a little gaudy after a while, where you're like, yes, I also know who this person is. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't down with that either. But another thing that I found weird is when they reveal that Cervantes knew glass all along. Okay, and? So what? Yeah, again, they could have taken that revelation out and nothing changes. It was like, I think... I think he wanted to do something with that, right? Where it was like, look how important it was that all of you guys were in the same thing, reverie instance together. Yes, I'm using video game terms. They were in the instance together and they all went their separate ways and then they kind of forgot about each other, but they like, and then, but then like their paths ended up crossing again. That would have been very interesting. Because that, I mean, because that does actually happen often. With with Esperance across any chapter, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the, always interesting. I think though, I always think find it interesting when they come when they kind of find one it's another super again. Cool, right? When they're like you, um, I feel like so the laser harp got more character development. <laughs> My, again, so my daughter she comes in and out while we're reading and like the third time we were talking about the laser harp she's like what in the hell is a laser harp i don't know baby but it's super important to this oh no it's not like so, i was hoping that they were going to reveal that this laser harp like which by the way just so we're clear i picture a harp with laser beams going up and down it <laughs> as you play the laser beams like the thrump the thrum- so thurman all right, so when we got to the la- the laser harp, there. Um, I don't know if you've played uh, Rise of the Immortals. No, I think that's what it's called, or is it Immortals Rise of Phoenix? Whatever, it's an Ubisoft game. It's Immortals. It's got Phoenix, and I think it's Immortals Rise of Phoenix. They're one of the little mini games that you can do to unlock extra collectibles. Because we all know, if you played an Ubisoft game, you know the pattern. This is what they do. Mm-hmm. And you either love it or you hate it. There's one of those things is this harp. And you'll go f- find harps, little harps, everywhere, and you have to memorize the tune. Then you go back to the big harp. 
mm-hmm. that you shoot an arrow at the strings because it's this ginormous harp to kind of play out the tune. But when you do, it becomes like these colored lasers. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking of this whole time was just one of those giant harps with the lasers. And we're just plucking out these tunes oh, to unlock laser harp to unlock not- collectibles. <laughs> right. Because there is something called a laser harp, but you're not running into this thing. So but it was really funny. Because that's all I was picturing is like the actual laser harp. And it was very weird. And again, could have removed the whole thing. I I liked the concept. There was actually, I will vehemently defend Dead Space 3. Huge Dead Space fan. I will vehemently defend that though. Because there's this one scene, if you're playing co-op, which my husband and I were, where I was playing Carver. And you go into this room and he starting to be affected by the marker which by the way the dead space series one of the reasons i love it is it's totally canon in warhammer and it makes sense um tell me i'm wrong the marker is some chaos yeah it's drukari all over it anyways so the idea that so i go into this room and i start freaking out and i'm running around and i'm yelling i'm trying chasing after my son well i look over at my husband's screen and my character is just standing there frozen. You can tell like he's... And so, you know, Isaac is like on Jim's screen, Isaac is going, dude, Carver, are you okay? But on my screen, he's nowhere to be heard or seen. Interesting. Super cool, loved it, amazing moment. Happens like three more times, loved it so much. I I really liked that scene. Where like he's just like they're both just like doing their own thing, but they're mm-hmm. both clearly having a bad acid trip. I don't know why the laser heart bothered me so much, you guys. And I don't know why it bothered me so much that it turned out that he was like ex friends with glass. Like, okay, and what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, I'm not going to argue that you're, you're absolutely right. It, I kind of had a whole problem with that whole thing of when they were looking for the Castellan and what, you know, and they obviously went on some warp acid trip and he's not even does and he's not even there. And then near the end when they're like, oh, but you knew where he was all along. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm so tired of these stupid little games. Does it let's say I do. I do understand where he is at this point before you guys mentioned, oh, he's in the reverie. Oh, sure. That makes total sense because I totally made that connection. Go on ahead, readers. Tell me how dumb I am for not catching that connection. I really caught that with uh, uh, the Infernal Requiem. But it just seemed like just so out of left field. And here's my other question. Why? And who cares? Does it matter where he went? Because we never, nothing gets resolved from that. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. I do want to talk about, so did you like Cervantes as a protagonist? Because I think he's probably the closest thing to a protagonist that we have in this book. Um, yes, I did. In that, I think he's the only one who's really trying <laughs> to be a better space marine. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially like when they do get into that battle with the demon mechanicus. And he comments, and he's just like, this feeling I have, we're supposed to be doing this the whole time. I actually did love that when they're all fighting and Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm made for this. 
I was like, yeah, dicks. You are totally made for this. I did like that they all kind of had this cathartic moment of, oh my gosh. You could have just imagined like this, whatever zinch corruption haze that's mm-hmm. hovering over all of them kind of peeling back and like them having this moment of, whoa, Keanu Reeves, whoa. <laughs> like, well, we're supposed to be fighting. And yes. then like, so these short stories. Okay, I have the- to move my cat. So, no, these two short stories that I read for Peter Farhavari, and again, from what we've been talking about with this book, and from what I read from these two short stories, I think he's a better short story writer than a novelist. And I so, agree. So, in one of the short stories, and it talks about because this is actually after the fall of the Resplendent mm-hmm. when they become the Penitent, and this one character, he's remembering, you know, Chapter Magister Varzaval, which at the time I didn't know who that was. Now I do about how he was gone and that is when the undying martyr appeared so it's making me think it's like okay so that did peel away Sinch knows he's lost it so he right. has to wait for chapter magister to leave because it's when he leaves and they have no idea where he is and they're all like oh no he's totes dead they're like but is he though um and the indicting martyr is like, oh, yeah, he's totally dead. Like, whether he is or not, Zinch found a way to kind of get rid of him and then put in his plan another way, which, if Zinch is nothing else, he's very patient. He's got patient all the time in the world. Crafty. Yeah. Yes, very much so. So that's kind of what I also interpreted that moment to be, is when... Varzaval or Zavantes, however you want to call him, figures on that moment. This is what we're supposed to do. I'm not taking the reins here as you know, um, Castellan because there's nobody else, and we're going to go back to way to the way way that we were. So again, you take that as a short story, and that's amazing. And again, there's there's like four short stories worth of great ideas in here. That I think had had he done something like Dan Abnett's Brothers of the Snake, where it's one con- it's one cohesive narrative, but it's four short stories that are like here's just a day in, and I guess you could have put fifth, you could have put the Crown of Thorns in there too, and just had like here's little snapshots of this chapter's life, right? They're they're all under one umbrella of one story, but they have a beginning, a middle, and end. Beginning, middle, and end. It's when he has to string them all together that it starts to get fluffed out. And I I liked Cervantes. I, I actually really genuinely liked Cervantes because I liked that the whole time he's like, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. Like, he, his spidey senses were tingling. But for me, when they revealed that he was in love with Marisol, I was kind of like, uh. like, I the whole time I was like, I think you're really trying to, like, break through the fog and and then they kind of revealed that, and I was like, no, never mind. But uh, this will bridge over into our next question, too, that I liked and admired his dogged devotion to his friend, right? Like, I just got to get the demon out of my friend, and we can go back to being friends again. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as a short story, I would have loved to have seen him struggle with both having to become a leader and having to deal with the fact that his friend is gone. You're not getting him back. I think that would have made a wonderful short story just all in there. Um, 
But again, I don't know. There was something about Cervantes that just at, at the end there, there were a couple little notes where I was like, oh, never mind. I don't yeah. know. And the no, whole I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, the whole thing about him being the one who pulled the dagger out and basically like unleashed unleashed the reverie into the city like okay sure I that yeah. whole part of the story I was, oh alright I guess I, I don't know and I think I think that was supposed to have it wasn't that and I want to make it clear I, like, I don't think it was dumb but like that just did not strike a chord with me and I could understand why some people probably did really dig it but it just didn't for me I think I was supposed to be like what and instead, I was like, oh, all right. It didn't strike that big of a chord with me. Right. Not much of this but book did. To How did you feel about Caravaggio's story? I didn't care. I hate to say that I really was not very emotionally invested in him as a character. And as each revelation is laid out about him. Okay cool like i think it was because in the beginning as soon as they're like oh he's kind of a demon i was like kill him mm -hmm. kill him kill him kill him kill him so like when they keep revealing more and more about his story i'm like yeah kill him yeah definitely kill him no still kill him though like to be clear let's mm -hmm. kill him flush him out the airlock i didn't care i didn't really either again and i think you could have taken that whole part out and nothing would have changed I really think you could have because really at its core what's happening here right they get these aspirants up one of them is clearly tainted mm -hmm. right dies in transit mysteriously mm -hmm. that one infects our mechanicus the reverie has been loosed into the city I guess I mean <laughs> it's been that, that way for a while though because glass did it right glass invited it in which so them going back and saying like oh it's because Cervantes pulled the dagger out no you already established that glass did this so okay so that all was, of this that was the other stuff. thing so that was the other thing was that I felt like we kept mixing up plot points yes as well to the point I was just like wait so who did it like and I kind of felt like the timeline was getting weird as well like it just it was stuff and was I not adding up I think that's supposed to be part of the dark coil that like the timelines are all like interspersed. No, but I mean like to the point that it's, you can't tell when Satori originally killed the resplendent or not. It. Right. Because it's like this weird, like, and I don't, I, I think I'm too anal. I think I've decided I'm too anal retentive too OCD for that type of stuff because I need to know a timeline that's yeah. like I need to know these things and if you want to just fall back on the fact that well this is kind of in the warp and because like the Night Lord's omnibus which I have not mentioned in like several podcasts so somebody give me credit for this um, in the Night Lord's omnibus they really deal with the fact that time moves weird in the warp okay. like super weird I, I get that I 100% get that but that, that time moves differently but when you have Satori telling stories and the time differs, that says to me that someone lost their place in their outline. 
Yes, I would actually agree with that. And the implication that Cervantes unleashed the reverie and Satori saying, like, yeah, you kind of did this. But then, like, a few pages later, well, Glass totally did this. He invited the reverie in here. Okay. I, what? And then, and I, I went back and I read this twice, and I don't know, and I apologize if I just couldn't follow it, because, like, I think I was so over it at the time. Like, Satori is like, I'm sorry. This is this is not a demon in your friend. Your friend's always been an asshole. And he's just kind of like ascended to his final form at this point. Well, he's become the the uh an artist, you know? He's kind of become this self-centered crazy artist. Very much so. But then Satori also kind of implies that you know there totally is a demon in him. At I the think- end there. The way I took that was that Satori didn't want to tell him what to do either way. That could also be. That could also be. Um, what is Satori's game in all of this? I don't. When it's revealed. No. Like, his big revelation that he's kind of still working for Zorin and this is all part of the plan. Um and that, you know, I kind of let Glass get away so that we can keep this going and keep, like, like I let you take the dagger out because if you didn't do it, somebody else did. Well, then what was your job? It's like, one of those things I was like, you had one job in the reverie. One job. It reminded me very much of the second Matrix movie when the key, when, um, not the key master, but the dude in all white, I can't remember his character's name. (laughs) I can't think of what his name was right now. It's like the master program or something. Yeah, it's like the architect or something like that. Anyways, I have I have not watched that movie since the first time we saw it. Um, Was this the guy that Keanu Reeves fought for like a very long time, and then he suddenly stopped, and he was like, "Okay, now I know who you are." And Keanu was like, "Well, couldn't you have just asked?" He's he's like, "Yes, but you know a real person by fighting." And I remember turning to my friend and going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. No, no, no. At the very end of the movie, when he goes into that room, because the key dude opens it up and there's the architect and he's just kind of explaining and he's like, yeah, you're basically a glitch. Like, you just keep happening and then we, you know, we, re- we st- restart it and then another one comes through and this is, you know, this is just kind of what happens. <laughs> it felt very much like that, where it's like Satori is like, okay, well, this like kind of keeps happening. So, um, got to put glass back. And then we'll watch how it goes through the next round. Deeply unsatisfying. And here's here's one of those things, too. That I think, like, if you're a fan of the Dark Coil, if you like this idea that things, events just kind of keep repeating themselves because they're kind of not in a time loop, but, like, a fate loop, as it were. Like, they're stuck in this destiny fate loop of, like, revisiting and replaying events and trying to do things. Okay, that's cool. Definitely not my bag. It's not mine either, which is why I said in the very beginning, it's like, I've just decided that this brand of horror is just not not the type that I like. I don't know how else to describe it. It still just does not feel like a horror novel to me either. I mean, again horrific but, but like which is why i said it's not all kills that dude that's awful i mean it's just not which is why i said it's not my my brand i mean because 
you know some people's brand like let's look at horror movies is that they prefer was you as you call it torture porn that is their brand of horror my brand of horror is not jump scares and things like that it's the psychological stuff like rebecca you don't know if you don't know what, what rebecca is shame on you go watch the original black and white it's alfred hitchcock movie Basically, it was a great book that he begged the author to let him do a movie about it. So, anyway. Joan Fontaine is flawless in it. Yes. That's more of mine, the psychological thing, which I think is why, you know, when the Gellerfield falls, it's just like, hello, this is fun. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Or, like, um, that one book we read where they were in, they were no longer, like, in the warp. They were just, like, in this blank space so there was nothing for them to sail on. That kind yeah. of, t- I mean, that kind of terror. That's kind of more my thing. And um, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and it's just with this, the whole idea of something was wrong. Oh, but by the way, this keeps happening. This is just a thing that just keeps happening. We're just going to discuss it. That's just, I, yeah. Look. I'll, look. I've now read two of his books. I've read his short stories. If I'm going to read anything else by him, it's going to be his short stories because this is just not doing it for me. And I, I want to say, like, I, I really want to make it clear that we didn't decide to read this book because we were like, wasn't it fun to beat up on Requiem Infernal? Because no, it's not. Um, but I saw a lot about the Reverie on Reddit and I saw a lot of people talking about how good it was. And so I always like you always want to give an author a second chance because maybe that first book didn't really click with you. But this mm-hmm. one will. And, you know, it, again, the Blood Angels. Let's let's read some more Blood Angels. OK. Um, and that cover art, though, uh, totally judged this book by its cover. Not going to lie. Um, I think it's really great that we gave it a second chance. But I do feel very comfortable saying that probably not another Ferrari book again I, I think you're absolutely correct i think his short stories is where he shines because mm-hmm. he he's very he can get through something very concisely and if you would have chopped this up into short stories really would have liked it but yeah there's just too much filler and too much of me saying who cares yeah where, where did this go a lot of I, what was there was too much for me of what was the point yeah. of that and just convoluted storytelling that is just that's also not my bag if you have to be convoluted and coin how you're telling the story is it really that good of a story right yes i i would agree with that um it it kind of reminds it he reminds me a little bit like he's trying to be like David Lynch, but even David Lynch occasionally out David Lynch's David Lynch. Um, I really like David Lynch and like, I will definitely defend some of his stuff. Like I actually, I have a very weird love hate relationship with Mulholland drive. Um, the things that I don't like about Mulholland Drive, Peter Farivari very much seems to tap into. And again, a lot of people really like Mulholland Drive. Like, a lot of people really love that movie. More Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks for me. 
and the immortal classic Dune. Oh, I mean, there's just sometimes like there's just popular stuff that we just don't like. Like in my case, I hated the first Matrix movie. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. I was bored. I love that one. I nearly fell asleep. I was so bored. It was like halfway through this because I just finished reading um, Brave New World. Mm -hmm. That did not help. So halfway through this movie, I was just like, dear God, could they just copy Aldous Huxley any more than they already have? And of course, everybody with me was like, well, who's that? I'm like, never mind. Sit here and continue watching this crap. And of course, everyone was blown away by the special effects. Okay, yes, that was so amazing, especially back at that time. I'm not going to argue with that, but it didn't do it for me. And I have not met a single person who's felt the same way I do about The Matrix. Uh, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the first movie. I'm not talking about the rest of them. There's, I think, I think there's only one movie. I think everybody pretty much agrees on the other two. At least I haven't met anybody who just loves the other two. There's probably some people out there. I don't know. I don't think time was very kind to the other two. Uh, at the time, a lot of people really liked them. And we knew a lot of apologists for it. And the people who would pull out the, clearly you didn't understand them. Um, but there's there's only one Matrix movie. I feel like I, th- I feel like we've kind of agreed at that as a pop culture. Like we've kind of agreed on that over the years, um, and that's totally fair. You know, again, some things people like and others they don't. Like, yeah, again, <sighs> not to say it's it's not a bad book. It's just not my thing. It's not and my I, thing. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's terrible or anything like that. Because I don't even say that about Twilight anymore. I say, I don't like it. It's not my thing. Because right. I understand some people just love it. And you know mm-hmm. what? Fine. That's fine. I'm glad there's a book that you like. Right. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited, though, because we are actually going to do... And I don't have my physical copy. We actually bought this book when it first came out. We did a huge, massive cleanup of our house last summer, and I saw the book and was like, oh, okay. Can't find it for the life of me, so I don't have to buy it on ebook. But we're going to take a trip into the Wayback Machine, all the way back to 2012. Do you remember what that was like? Uh, to read Pariah. Uh, that's next. before pandemic, so nope. The long, long ago. The long, long time. ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, somebody get the tv screen um we can we're gonna read pariah because penitent is coming out next and any sequel that comes out nine years after the first one and it's dan abnett it's dan abnett it's return to the inquisition it's return to beckwin it's return to all of these things we gotta read it so i read this book nine years ago <laughs> So we're going to do this again, and I'm really excited for it. No, so I have, I bought the ebook a long time ago. I think it was back when I was reading Ravener, because I... Probably. Because I think I was reading, because it was the collection of all three books, and so there was mm-hmm. a separate introduction that was actually in that book that he wrote specifically for the collection. Oh. And it talked about, you know, it actually had a really good description of how he treats book ideas. And he says that book ideas are often um, guests that come and visit and they have to wait on his couch. And eventually he will get to them 
and bring him into his office so we can have this meeting. But in the meantime, there was kind of hanging out on the couch. And he said, and for everybody who's wondering about the second uh, Beckwin book, I promise it's on the couch. And I was like, what is he talking about? So I did a quick search. I was like, oh, well, it's more... Again, I hadn't read Ravener yet. So I was like, oh, I mean, more Eisenhower, more Ravener. I'm totally going to get this. And then I finished the Ravener trilogy and was just like, never mind. And so I just, I never read it. Yeah. And, I uh, read so, it. But I think I was in the wrong headspace for it. Because I read it and was like, ugh. Like, I got rid of it. When I finished it, I remember, like, literally, like, chucking it onto a table and being like, ugh. But then you, when you said that you talked with Graham McNeil at the Citadel last year or I think it was two years it's ago 2019 good god anyways <laughs> when he was like it's like the best book ever you know what maybe I was too hard on it back then I maybe I wasn't in the headspace and that happens a lot with movies oh like, yeah you ever watched a movie and you were like no really good example in our house is the first time I saw it from dusk till dawn I was like this is so dumb it's now like one of my favorite B movies like I, I love from dust till dawn um but because i just wasn't in the headspace so i'm really excited to read this for the podcast i think it's going to be really exciting we don't get to do older books very often and with penitent coming out i think it's the perfect time for us to get caught up on it that way we can dive right into penitent and it's beautiful new cover art i'm so excited for that you say we don't do older books very often but yet during the pandemic early on pandemic that's all we had <laughs> I mean, like, books. way older books. Like, we we did the Magos. That was super old. Um, it was new to Oh, me. the Grey Knights book that we read was older. It was older, uh-huh. Uh, Black Legion was a little bit older. Like, I mean, we, we do, but this is, like, I mean, this is 2012. This is an old-ass book. I'm really excited to do it, though. I, and again, I love your definition of old. But in terms of, like, the Warhammer 40K timeline, we, we're timely on top of books i feel like well yeah um but and also this is gonna be like the second dan abnet book we've read for a man who is as prolific in the catalog as dan abnet that can't be right i is it right is i think it is actually let me i'm on the site let me see oh my god no, so I just did looked over at my physical copies of Abnet's books, and aside from the Horace Heresy ones back here, because we can't <laughs> count those, all I have over here is Eisenhorn, the Magos, and Ravener. So you're probably right. The Magos is the only one that we've done for the podcast. I just because the guy keeps it. writing comics. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, and he also transitioned more to Horace Heresy and now the Siege of Terra. So. Yeah, it makes sense. But I'm really excited that we get to do Dan Abnett and we get to do such a classic character so that we can now follow her into this brave new world. Because Beckwin was probably my favorite character from the Eisenhorn series. I'm still not over the death of Beckwin. Well, not the death, but you know, that... The comatizing of Beckwin? That sound, when he talks about the sound when of she her hits. hitting the wall... Yeah, that's one of those moments that I'm just not over in the 40k. Yeah, not at all. But anyways, no, and I just, so. and I still just love the whole unrequited love thing. That I mean, I don't think it's unrequited. I think they both felt that way about another, but they know that they did. They couldn't do anything about mm -hmm. it. Yep. 
So sad. So that's going to be fine. And I, you know, and I like Eisenhorn. I like the idea of Ravener. <laughs> and I'm really curious because, you know, Ravener has been kind of, you know, banished. So I'm curious how this is going, going to work all together. So, yep. So, I mean, I, I am looking forward to this. So, I mean, Me I guess too. it's like, I know we, re- we need to be reading Astarath, but um, we're going to take a, I think Jen needs a break from the Blood Angels. So we're going to, <laughs> so we're going to do Pariah and then uh, Gate of Bones will be next because that's actually coming out next week. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get back to Astaroth, Metrions, and those. I feel like, in terms of the podcast, I have been pretty GGG about the Blood Angels. Does she mean so, 999? No, I mean GGG. Um, <laughs> go to Urban Dictionary. Uh, no. I, I feel as though, not in that those terms, uh, but I, I feel as though... I've done my time for King and Country with the Blood Angels. I need a little bit of a break. So, yes, we have so much exciting stuff. We have to get the Astaroth, though, because if, I think everybody has seen that the Black Library D-Day is on February 20th when they're releasing, like, the new Uriel Ventress Chronicles. Totally get it. The new it. Penitent book. Oh, my. What aren't we getting? Um, it's true. They're just, like, dropping all these books on us, and most of them are special editions. I'm going to... My wallet's somewhere crying right now. I don't Try care. Try to pick us out, Carrie. My, my wallet's got a ball gag in its mouth. It can't cry anymore. So <laughs> Definitely time to take us out. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went all slanish there. Sorry about that. Wrong chaos god for this book. Well, well anyways. I mean, <laughs> all right. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding the reverie by Peter Fahavari. Be sure to join us for our next book pariah by dan abdett i don't have a physical copy either so can't show off that uh, we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the black library or any of its affiliates you can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website wh40kbookclub.com if you like this episode please like subscribe give a review and all those good things to the vidcast on youtube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books. (laughs) I started laughing. And short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. (laughs) Good night, everybody. We are professional AF. Totes. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.